Support for this podcast comes from Chronify, the scheduling platform for business and HR professionals. Don't let impersonal and slow interview scheduling stop you from acquiring top talent. Interview scheduling is one of the biggest pain points in recruiting. All that back and forth makes for a poor candidate experience. And finding a time is simple when you offer slots based on real-time availability. It's totally secure and you stay in complete control of who can book times in your calendar and when. Start the new year right and transform your interview scheduling with Chronify Scheduler. To find out more, go to www.chronify.com slash recruiting future. That's www.chronify.com slash recruiting future. And Chronify is spelled C-R-O-N-O-F-Y. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 329 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Understanding and assessing talent is something I don't think we talk about in enough detail in our industry. Advances in both technology and neuroscience are challenging traditional thinking in recruiting, and this is going to be another key topic for me this year. To get the conversation started, my guests this week have a simply fascinating story to share. Eric Castine and Andres Fondelet are the founder and CTO of Brains First. Brains First is a Dutch company that uses cognitive psychology and machine learning to help elite football teams identify future talent. They've brought their learnings into the business world and have some incredible insights to share. Hi, Andres. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. Could you just introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? Yes, absolutely. My name is uh, Andries van der Leij. I uh, have a background in cognitive neuroscience, and now I am uh, CGO at uh, Brains First. And I am a little bit in between science and uh, product, and uh, uh, actually translating science to business needs. And vice versa. My name is Eric Castin. I have a background in uh, journalism and entrepreneurship. Um, my role as a founder is bridging between uh, theory and practice and trying to make um, all science um, um, work for uh, HR professionals and professionals in uh, sports and education too. Now, the reason that we're talking is I don't think in our industry we talk enough about assessment, how it works, the science behind it, where that science meets technology and how that sort of relates to making great decisions about talent. And you have an absolutely fascinating approach and way of working that I, I I just really want everyone to hear about. So give us a bit of background to what you do and, and how you got here. Yeah, I think it's a good idea that uh, I will start with the uh, history of Brains First. Um, I think it was about 2011, 2012. Those years I was living in Spain, to be precise, in, uh, in Barcelona. 
I was writing uh, books about um, uh, talent identification in elite football. And with uh, Barcelona, the, the club just around the corner of my house, and Real Madrid a few hundred kilometers, kilometers away, uh, I was able to uh, visit both clubs uh, frequently to, uh, to, to gather information about uh, this, the topic I was writing a book on. Um, and if you visit uh, a training of uh, such a football club uh, the, the first time, you are a little bit uh, impressed by those uh, f- football stars and you're looking around and uh, everything behind you and in front of you, everything is impressive. But the third time, or maybe the 25th time in my case, um, you have to uh, discover something new uh, or you'll uh, quit uh, visiting uh, the trainings. And so um, the 26th or 7th, I don't know, um, uh, one of those times I was um, standing behind the sidelines of the training center. I was looking at um, very um, uh, intelligent um, performing people the football stars, they were recognizing patterns, they were processing information, they were switching their attention uh, so fast I could not really um, understand how they are able to do it. And at the same time, uh, I realized that those football stars, like in that time uh, Ronaldo at Real Madrid uh, and um, Deco and uh, Ronaldinho at uh, FC Barcelona, uh, it was a little bit earlier, um, they are um, called... Uh, dumb footballers, footballers, football players. So uh, not so smart people and just footballers. And I was uh, not getting that because um, if I was looking at those players, they were performing at such a high level and not only uh, their um, their uh, muscles or um, their, their body, but especially in between their ears. And that was fascinating me um, uh, then. Uh, it still fascinates me, by the way. Um, and I was writing that book about talent identification and I w- went back to um, some people I was interviewing before and I said, um, where exactly do you think the, um, the difference is made between elite football and not or non-elite football? And every uh, theoretical and um, um, every, every expert was telling me that difference is made in between the years. And I was thinking, okay, but what exactly is happening in between their years? And they were all um, telling me that they didn't uh, know and they really wanted to know, but they had no clue what was uh, happening in between all our ears. And then I was uh, going back to the neuroscientist I was interviewing for the book and they recognized um, um, the the strange thing that um, smart people are um, doing uh, stupid things in certain contexts and vice versa. And in this case, um, not so smart, school smart uh, football players. I don't call them not so smart, but in the streets behind me, they were called not so smart. And they were performing on a very highly intelligent level. And that was the start that I wanted to find out. How is it possible that um, intelligent people performing not so intelligent in other contexts and vice versa? And that was um, yeah, the seed what was planted to uh, 
uh, finally grow into brain-first company. You've got me hooked now. I'm kind of hanging on, I'm hanging on what happens next. So, I mean, how did you break that down? How did you find out what was going on in the brains of, of, of footballers and turn it into a science? I, I, yeah, I, w- I went back to the neuroscientist. Um, I asked them, is it possible to um, to to um, uh, grab that specific intelligence? I am looking for to understand what makes them specifically intelligent. And they said, um, yeah, how do you call it? And I said, um, it, call it football intelligent or game intelligent. And, the, and they said, I don't know what you exactly mean by that, but uh, let me introduce you to two persons, Andries, uh, one of them. Uh, and Ilya Slichte is our colleague, is a neuroscientist at the University of Amsterdam. And Andries and Ilya told me... Um, we are busy studying um, that kinds, and I'm just going to explain it later, uh, that kinds of um, human performance um, magic, <laughs> as, as we call it in the streets. Um, but let, let us try to, um, to measure the brain functions of elite players and find out if there is a link between specific brain functions um, and their field performance. So um, we created um, assessment games, the brain-based assessment games of Brain First. We call it the NeuroLympics, and it was based on neuroscientific tasks um, used in healthcare. And instead of boring tasks, it was uh, gamified. Uh, we made it online, adaptive, and uh, the aim is to challenge four brain regions to outperform yourself, to challenge yourself to perform well on those brain games. In 2016, it's three years after the start, uh, it proved that there was a clear link um, between brain function performance and field performance. And we measured about 800 pro players and youth players, aged 10 to 30. And the pro players, they showed incredible performance on specific tasks. tasks sorry. Um, for example, speed of information processing. So we all can see things happen on television or in the stadium, but are we able to make the right choices and decision at lightning speed at the pitch too? Those people are. The speed of attention is another example. How fast are you aware of changes in play? And uh, another one is overview. Uh, You need working memory capacity at the highest level to um, really grab in your head what's in your mind, what's going on around you and take that into consideration to make the right uh, choices or to to make the right decision on the pitch. So if you know um, what you're looking for as a club, um, what you're looking for in youth players, then you can use the specific brain configuration um, in talent identification. And that's what we finally made possible. So you can use the assessment games of Brains First um, until 2016, uh, especially in elite football, and after 2016, also outside the football world. Tell us a bit more about that in terms of what, what have you sort of found out about talent and how can elite football or elite sports translate into the sort of the broader business world? So when we first started off, we had a quite a unique uh, problem. So the logic approach is to, uh, for instance, study uh, football intelligence is to craft an intelligence test. And there were, were a lot of companies who were doing that at the same, at that time. 
basically a sort of uh, test that uh, resembles a, uh, a, a test that you would take when you have your uh, exam for a, uh, your, your driving license, football situations, and to see indeed whether players can recognize uh, football situations that uh, ask for specific actions better or faster or more uh, accurate than others. However, that's not. We soon discovered that that was not the right approach. What we what we needed to do is not to assess the capability of a football player, because what we wanted is to assess learnability, to assess specific um, skills that make a young player, because that was the business case, very young players that still have to learn how to develop into a football player. And to assess whether these players are actually uh, uh, have the brains to uh, absorb all this information and to learn faster than others and indeed develop into the professional players that these clubs wanted them to grow into. So uh, it was another kind of approach. So what we did was what we uh, tried to find out, because we have a background in cognitive neuroscience, and what that field does is that uh, they try to map uh, functions, cognitive functions, things like memory, attention, how you decide things, how you group, uh, uh, how you group the things that you observe into uh, into structures, or in uh, uh, how you organize information in inside of your working memory, how to, how you anticipate on information that is uh, that uh, that uh, evolves while you are observing the world how that maps to brain structure. I myself was doing uh, uh, studies uh, on individual differences. I was involved in a huge project where we were scanning hundreds of people in MRI scanners and having them perform all all kinds of tasks. Ilya was um, 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 specialized into working memory and um, basically uh, the prefrontal uh, cortex functioning. And we developed the task that um, that was tapping into this very these very very low level cognitive building blocks of cognition things like memory, attention, speed, anticipation, decision making, workflow. And we we developed these games with a specific aim to say something about um, learnability in very young football players and uh, uh, gamify them so they were also fun and easy to do in a relatively uninstructed way for very young children with all these different backgrounds in terms of educational level, because football is a, is a, is a sport for everyone, right? So we collected thousands, so we made these games that were fun and we collect thousands of data points. And what we do is we, we crafted these, these, these games in a way that they, uh, they make maximal use of validated uh, academic tasks, but were more fun because academic tasks are not so fun to do and they tap into all these brain structures that are distributed across the entire brain but they're predominantly um, tap into what we call prefrontal cortex functioning of, of or executive functioning and what we discovered that basically every brain of those football players was unique and what talent defines is a complex in, complex interplay of background and sort of uh, uh, natural talent and the way you start to learn within the environment or the, the the context and what we now find is that almost all brains whether it's a footballer or a person that uh 
applies for a job in, uh, in, in a company has at least one brain skill that sort of strikes out or is actually quite, quite strongly present or, or, uh, or um, dominant compared to these other brains. And that is what fascinates us. We, uh, we, go, we, go, we go past the traditional assumptions underlying this, this IQ that you have to be good at everything, language, uh, numeracy, etc., and have to sort of make a, a sort of homo universalis, a person that is good at everything and can do everybody, and see if a way more interesting pattern that all these brains are unique, but what makes them unique is uh, 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 is, is a specific specific talents on 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 a, on a level that is so hard to assess from the outside because they are so fundamental and so low level. There's so much stuff there that is so relevant to how talent acquisition works and spots talent for for businesses and how people how people do their job. So much stuff. I know that you use this in sort of lots of different industries. Could you give people some examples of roles other than footballers that, that you've used this approach successfully in? A good example of someone who was performing at the highest level in, in, in football. And during the first years, we were um, focusing on that industry, uh, as, uh, as I told you. Um, and in 2000, I think it was 16, and we met someone, and he was performing in the, the early no, in the, yeah, in the early nineties in the, on the Dutch national um, uh, professional level in football, and he got injured, and by accident, his neighbor he was asking him, uh, he was inviting him to his working environment, and he he asked him, um, um, why don't you? Um, Come to have a look uh, where I work, and you're at home recovering, and every day is the same. Uh, so uh, come and join me for a day at my working place. And the working place was the, um, the the air traffic control tower at Schiphol Airport, Amsterdam. And um, this uh, football player, he was not uh, thinking even about uh, working in in another environment than in football, but um, he was going there. He liked it. And he forgot about it, and that was it. Um, I think it was one and a half year later, he uh, seemed to be injured um, uh, too badly uh, to um, recover and to come back at the, the professional level. So he had to choose another career. And the same neighbor, he asked him, why don't you come work at, at our place? And he said, why? I'm, I'm a football player. I don't have an education and I can't do the smart thing you were doing in the air traffic control tower. And the neighbor said, yeah, but what exactly do you do as central defender at, uh, in, in, in football? And he said, uh, well, I try to recognize patterns. I try to uh, act fast. I try to um, uh, process uh, information uh, fast and uh, things like that. And, he's, and, he, and the neighbor, the, he starts laughing and he said, okay, so you're doing the same thing as I do. And the football player was thinking, you're kidding me. No, no, no. I think you're doing the same thing as I do. Please um, come again and talk to my uh, boss. And um, okay, and for this story, it takes too long to, to take it from day to day. Um, the, 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 um, the punchline of this uh, story is that um, that football player he um, applied for a job and he was tested and he um, 
turned out to be the highest level uh, of uh, air traffic control tower um, uh, agents uh, at this moment. He's still, after 20 years, he's still working in the air traffic control center. And he introduced um, us, after hearing our story in 2016, uh, to air traffic control industry. And after two years of internal uh, research, um, Andris and Ilya, they proved that uh, also air traffic control uh, centers are looking for specific brains. And finally, it's uh, a little bit sim- similar to a football brain, but not to a football general brain, but for a specific um, role at the football field, uh, namely uh, central defender. And the central defender's brain has similarities with the air traffic controller brain. And what Andres told you, um, if you are able to dig deeper and to look at another uh, more biological level, then you can switch uh, talents. Then you can help uh, talent distribution, uh, redistribution work. So if someone can switch from elite football to air traffic controller, it's also possible maybe and to switch from financial controller to a software tester or from an accountant to a data analyst. So what we do is uh, enabling talent distribution distribution by collecting objective brain data, matching cognitive demand and supply, and, and that's what we basically do in the core. So enabling talent redistribution. And that sort of brings me on nicely to my 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 next question. I mean, this is this is fascinating stuff that I could literally talk for hours about. But to kind of pull that down into some sort of practical outputs for talent acquisition leaders who are who are listening to the to the show, what would your advice be in terms of how they think about talent and assessment and mobility between jobs based on the research and the findings that you that, that you've discovered? What we discover again and again is that um, a lot of the, the things that we do um, are um, still, even if we try really, really hard, still um, based on a lot of assumptions. So a lot of the traditional um, psychology-based assessment world is basically, okay, uh, let's make a competency list of and uh, uh, map out all the skills and the hard skills and the soft skills that we need this person needs to do a lot with um, with uh, texts, so probably verbal IQ is important. So we make these assumptions and we try to s- stay close to the the thing that we think that we want, working with texts, and try to assess that. But that is uh, um, um, uh, assessing. Uh, uh, on experience, just like this example where it didn't work with the football players, that you can't assess uh, if you are good at uh, the, the ability to learn football by assessing football, because they have to still learn football. And I think that companies need to, they they have to uh, start thinking alongside the same uh, ways. So be more flexible in what you actually want, because the world is so rapidly changing uh, that um, you have to be uh, um, more abstract in what you want. Jobs are disappearing. They become roles right now. Um, And uh, if you want to hire for more abstract roles, don't uh, keep 
uh, don't think that you can solve that puzzle with, for instance, stating out lists with soft skills because the problem is uh, stays the same. How do you assess these soft skills? What does it mean that you want a lifelong learner or an agile worker? As long as you, if you can't quantify what you want and if you can't assess uh, whether a person is actually good at those soft skills, because what does it mean that the person is uh, uh, a lifelong learner or an adaptive, an adaptive player or a team player or whatever? If you don't have a good model, especially in a big organization where you as an HR professional have to work with other HR professionals who might very well have completely different ideas about what you are trying to achieve, then uh, that won't help you as much. Um, and the solution is actually to make it even simpler. Our solution is to make it simpler. What you should do is to start thinking, a lot, uh, 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 if you think about work or roles, you have to think about work and roles as a set of desired behaviors. And those behaviors you can assess uh, just like a football player is performing, behaving in a certain desired way. You can assess those behaviors and then you can start working down from there to, to, to uh, translate those behaviors to skills you actually can measure objectively. That's really interesting in terms of a lot of the conversations that are going on at the, uh, at the moment about bias and assessment, whether that's unconscious bias or conscious bias or uh, systemic bias or whatever, whatever type of, whatever type of bias it is. So is, is this a kind of a genuinely objective way of working? Is it a way to, to get bias out of the recruitment process? We, uh, we were, um, um, involved in football for a long time and the bias discussion is not new at all but it wasn't nearly as hot as it is uh, for the last two years uh, our uh, we just happened to have a very good solution for specifically this this uh, this 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 topic because of course our premise was that we uh, wanted to make a test that is um, that gives every young football player a, a valid shot. And indeed, what we try to do is sit, okay, what is what you can objectively assess without prejudice, without uh, ambiguity or a disagreement between coaches? That is the desired behavior. A person needs to be, a, a, a keeper in football needs to be very, very fast. You know this because a slow keeper just won't make it. And uh, we try to translate those things back to the, the, the unobservables, basically brain skills. And indeed, we, th we really strongly feel that that uh, uh, is one of the solutions for this bias problem. Because if you want a person, for example, that is a fast decision-making because you know that the business is, is evolving in a way that uh, um, um, the speed of delivery needs to increase, et cetera, et cetera, you see it be able to say just that i want fast decision makers uh, we or a solution like ours can translate that to basic brain, brain skills and then we just uh, um, uh, uh, compare candidates to those benchmarks and none of the cvs or letters or our educational backgrounds or, or college degrees matter then anymore because you do a direct mapping from brain talents basically 
to desired behavior. That's actually what we're trying to, to do right now. So our old, our old solution or our, our football solution is that we measure, like Eric uh, told you, we measure a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, and we do data, data modeling. And we translate um, success, uh, market value of a player, or uh, um, position position success in a in a football uh, team, back to uh, to brains, and then we have benchmarks, and we translate uh, uh, young players to scores. Now, since the world is so rapidly changing, we see that uh, machine learning is uh, not always the good approach because a data-driven approach is always, by definition, historical. You use the people that are already working for your company and then you make a model to uh, translate uh, the successful employees of the past and, trans- and we can translate that to a desired brain model. But those people are around there for, for quite some time and it doesn't allow you to hire for, for instance, future fit or learnability. So right now we are trying to, um, or we have, a, we have a system where we actually go in, uh, behavioral scientists and psychologists and neuroscientists, and we assess together with the team, what is the desired behavior of this specific role for the future? And then we have roles are T-shaped or even M-shaped now, or uh, people uh, have these, these uh, well, organizations are changing rapidly. But we try to make it as as, as tangible and concrete as possible, how should the decision-making be? Uh, what kind of problems do these people have? Um, do, uh, uh, should, should a person be very, very meticulous and not make mistakes, or should his speed of acting very important? And we map it out, and then we get a sort of behavioral pattern, and that, and that, uh, that pattern we can translate to a brain, uh, a, a brain profile, and we think that that's the, the way to go because that allows you to uh, align your HR strategy with basically your business strategy. What should our business be doing in the next couple of years? What kind of roles will help us uh, be more competitive, perform better, et cetera, et cetera. And you also accept that you that the people that you hire still need to learn uh, whatever age they are, whatever background they have. When, when they come into your company, the learning just starts and that you see all around. For instance, in, in companies like Google that uh, uh, don't ask for a college degree anymore, train them at, uh, uh, at, the, at the location. Uh, have these these own in-house uh, uh, training programs. You see it all around. All these old these old premises are changing, and uh, looking back uh, to to data uh, uh, doesn't cut it anymore. It's not fast enough. Andres, Eric, thank you very much for talking to me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. My thanks to Eric and Andres. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram. You can find the show by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search through all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope 
you join me. This is my show.